Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I find it interesting that soon after I began researching today's topic on how to remain confident and at peace when people attack us or our loved ones, my husband has been bombarded by gunk. Gunk that might seem minor on the surface, in part because this time, unlike in the past, he communicated clear boundaries and remained firm in those, which I believe prevented the intense verbal assault that he has received in the past. But because of his history with one particular individual, every interaction, however brief or seemingly surface level, triggered an anxious response, at least within me. I think I might respond more strongly when people hurt those I love than I do when I'm the one under attack, especially if the attack feels unjust. Now, my husband has given me permission to share this, and I'm doing so because I don't think he's alone in his struggle and the hurt that he's experienced. And so we're hoping that by my sharing a bit of his story, maybe it will bring clarity to yours. In the case with him and this particular individual, I have witnessed decades of unhealthy behavior where the person became overly aggressive and domineering, sarcastic, yelling, name-calling, throwing out false accusations, while my husband pretty much just took it, largely because he thought that was his role based on his position in the relationship and also because of his position as a Christ follower. Now, to avoid confusion, I need to give a bit of backstory. The person attacking my husband was doing so because in part of learned behavior, but also because of lies and half-truths that individual had heard and believed for decades. Lies my husband had never contended because he hoped the truth would eventually come out and that people, the individual treating him so poorly especially, would come to recognize the depth of his personal integrity. He wanted to always take the high road, as he puts it. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Certain people only heard and therefore believed one narrative. And over time, that false narrative became increasingly entrenched in their minds. But there was another reason my husband silently endured the attacks from this particular individual for over two decades, actually. They often responded to him in the same way that his verbally and psychologically abusive ex-wife had during their marriage, with name-calling, yelling, belittling, that sort of thing. And whenever the tension within the home elevated, my husband shut down. That became his go-to response, one that took him nearly a decade to break once he and I became married. And so, as he began to heal... And as he and I grew closer, he learned to drop his defenses and to express himself openly and honestly. We both learned to resolve conflict in a healthy manner, except when it came to this particular individual. Due to the history both of them had developed and likely some deep subconscious wounded areas still within my husband, he often fell into old patterns. He would shut down. He would take whatever was thrown at him. 
and watching all of this and simultaneously thinking of all the pain that this individual has caused my husband over the years, my stomach became knotted and I felt my temperature begin to rise. I wanted to protect him. But even more than that, I wanted justice. I wanted this individual to know and to acknowledge how deeply they had hurt him. Well, during this time, I was also reading a book from Dr. Allender, and he was a guest on this podcast not long ago. If you haven't che- if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and do so with with his co-author, Kathy Lorzell. Well, anyway, I was reading one of his books that talked about longing for our enemy's redemption, of ultimately wanting to see their sin chains broken and their souls united with Christ. And I really wrestled with this. Hi, I mean, like I was up at night and I'm like wrestling with God and wrestling with my emotions. And I didn't know what surrender to God might look like in this particular situation. I didn't know how God might want to lead my husband, but Honestly, I wasn't sure I wanted to know. I was too angry. Now, it does seem as if God stepped into this situation in a way that I believe will allow my husband finally to heal and really to experience some peace. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm also grieved with the depth of the inner struggle that I experienced. Honestly, the whole situation was confusing. Obedience isn't always clear, is it? And it's rarely easy, especially when we or those we love have been wounded. And yes, there are times when Christ tells us to turn the other cheek, to remain silent when under attack, but there are also times when he tells us to speak truth, to set boundaries, and times when he tells us to walk away. When under attack, when treated unjustly, how can we possibly know how God wants us to respond? Yes, we we should always respond with love and kindness, but love and kindness does not mean accepting abuse. It means not returning abuse for abuse. So how can we know when we're in that situation, when our emotions are all riled up, leading to just more confusion, how can we know how God wants us to respond? Well, first we listen. We wrestle with our emotions. We ask God to show us each emotion, anger, fear, sorrow, hope, mercy, grace, all of them, what's fueling them, and to show us his will and his plan in the middle of it all. Now, if today's episode feels a bit more, I don't know, jumbled than normal, I ask for your grace because today's topic is a bit jumbled within me. And I imagine some of you understand what I'm talking about. You've probably been in that place of inner turmoil, of wanting to honor Christ, but of not wanting to at the same time and feeling confused regarding what all that means. Lately, I've watched and I've heard about a few people in my inner circle who, while dealing with reactive and hostile individuals, have tried to take the high road, have tried to seek true health, only to find themselves assaulted with unjust accusations and manipulative and hateful words. And this profoundly bothers me, not just because I don't like to see those I love hurt, but these situations, they prick something holy within me. And I wonder if maybe you feel the same, whether you're the one who feels under attack or you're watching someone lash out at a person that you care about. And maybe that's stirring up all sorts of intense emotions within you. I believe much of that inner angst comes from the imprint of God within us.
What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you haven't caught Dr. Dan Allender's and Kathy Lorzell's episode, I encourage you to do so because that content might be the most important Faith Over Fear episode to date. But I've mentioned some of Dr. Allender's books before, including one of my favorites, Cry of the Soul. And in that particular book, Dr. Allender shares some thought-provoking insights regarding human emotion, seeing them not as a weakness, not as sinful responses, but instead as opportunities to discover more about God, our emotive creator, and as invitations to deepen our relationship with him. He wrote, speaking of some of our more uncomfortable, more what we would call negative emotions, he says, but the darker struggles with emotions can point us to priceless glimpses of God's character through scriptural revelation of God's own emotions. So in other words, when we're grieved by injustice, when the injustice that others suffer or or even that we suffer pricks a gnawing and a relentless ache within us, I believe that reveals a similar emotion felt perhaps even more intensely by God. God is a God of justice. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. And and he is a loving father. And so he is deeply impacted when people hurt his children. And justice involves making things right and restoring things to how they should be. Our souls were not created for brokenness, for woundedness. We were created for a perfect world by a perfect God. But Adam and Eve, our ancestors, they messed it all up. And we humans, we've been messing things up ever since. And we, along with all of creation, we ache for the day when God will eradicate all sin, all pain, all sorrow from our lives for good. And somehow knowing this brings me comfort and peace, and it helps to elevate my hope. Yes, I long to experience heaven on earth today. I long to see relationships and hearts healed. I long to see toxic people repent and all oppression and abuse to end. But when I recognize that those things may not occur in this present earth, my hope for heaven intensifies. And that hope planted deep within the core of my God-created being, it's far more than wishful thinking. It's the promise of everything that's yet to come. When my gaze is locked on heaven and my heart is anchored firmly in God's love, in his presence, faithfulness, and grace, 
that makes it easier to endure the pain and the injustices that my loved ones and I experience today. I'm much less apt to shut down or to isolate. I'm less apt to return ugliness with ugliness to repay hurt for hurt. I'm better able to first take in and then reflect the radiant heart and world-changing love of Christ. This morning, I was struck afresh with the gentle, the sacrificial, faithful, and enduring love of Christ revealed through so many of his miraculous acts recorded in scripture. So when he fed the thousands, when he healed and touched lepers, when he took a blind man by the hand, such a tender act, and then restored his sight. Throughout scripture, we see so many displays of God's heart. And each instance touches my heart and deepens my trust. But one of his most powerful, inexplainable displays occurred on the night before his death. In John 13, we read, and this is the New American Standard Bible, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I want to pause here. I had always thought that meant that he loved them until the end of his time with them, meaning that his love remained, that it was enduring. And while that's true, he did indeed love them and us until his last breath and beyond. The Greek word our Bibles translate as end, it could also be phrased as his love reached full or complete expression. Or as some scholars phrase it, he loved them to the uttermost. And this points to everything that followed, beginning with when he rose from the table and he served his disciples. So picking up in verse two, we read, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now notice how that passage began. It tells us Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he was stooping to the position of a lowly servant to wash his disciples' dirty and potentially smelly feet. He also knew the pain, the physical and emotional pain that he would soon experience. He knew that he would be betrayed by Judas, a man who was eating with him as if a friend. He knew the other disciples would all abandon him, that the religious leaders would mock him, and the crowds would turn on him, chanting for his death. He knew the authorities would flog him and that the Romans would crucify him, the blameless son of God. But more than that, Jesus knew that his death was not the end of the story, and that indescribable, unshakable joy awaited him and everyone who called on his name. According to Hebrews 12, verse 2, that joy strengthened his soul and his resolve to conquer every evil, including the evil that drove the nails into his hands and his feet and gambled for his clothes. And prior to that moment, prior to his death, while he shared an intimate, solemn, an unforgettable meal with his closest friends, that joy allowed him to look his betrayer, Judas, in the eye, knowing everything going through that man's mind, seeing clearly the darkness invading his heart, and to offer him yet one more chance 
to change his mind. And so he said to all of them, but I believe to Judas especially, he who shared my bread has turned against me. And verse 21 tells us that after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. David Guzik from The Enduring Word, he suggests that Jesus wasn't troubled for himself, for how the betrayal would impact him, but that he was instead troubled for the state of Judas's soul. When asked who the betrayer was, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, I don't believe this was simply a way to identify Judas. Even in this, Jesus loved to the end, to the uttermost. You see, in first century Palestine, this act, giving someone a dip piece of bread, that was a way to show honor. I think Jesus, I think his goal wasn't to call Judas out. And in fact, he seemed to do this privately because later the scripture indicates that the disciples didn't understand what Judas was doing when Jesus told him, whatever you need to do, do it quickly. The disciples seemed confused regarding what Jesus meant. So so I almost wonder if Jesus, if he did this privately and and therefore, if he was inviting Judas close, inviting him to repentance, to relationship. But Judas refused Christ's gift of grace. And as soon as he took the bread, scripture tells us that Satan entered him. That powerful offer of redemption, it may not have touched Judas, but it sure touches me. To to think that Jesus reached out to the man who would lead to his horrific death, first in washing his feet, and then in the way he showed him honor through giving him this piece of dip bread, to think that, that even through all that, he still saw Judas as a man created in the image of God. And then to think that that same Savior, he reaches out to you and I in our moments of hard-heartedness and betrayal. Wow, that just that blows my mind. And that Savior, the one who loves us so very deeply, whose heart is for us always, he asks us to love others with the same love with which he loves you and I. That's hard stuff, right? And that doesn't mean that we invite abuse, right? And that doesn't mean that we chase the person down, that we beg them to return. Jesus didn't do that. When Judas made it clear that he wasn't interested in repentance and changing his mind or his actions, Jesus let him go, telling him to do whatever he needed to do quickly. But notice Jesus also didn't allow Judas to do round the meal. The sacred and deeply emotional night spent with the 11 others as he reiterated his love, as he prayed for them, as he assured them of his constant care. Jesus did not allow Judas to derail his mission. And we can't allow the betrayal of others to steal our mission and our precious moments either. And I want to say that again because it is so, so important. Other people might reject, betray, abandon, or attack us. We cannot prevent them from acting ugly, but we don't have to allow their ugliness to taint us or to rob us of our dreams, our joy, our freedom, our effectiveness, or our calling. By God's power and grace, we need to rise above. I know that's hard because choosing the high road 
It often feels like we're letting our attackers win. But in truth, when we rise above, we're rising to a place of victory and strength, guaranteed, because we belong to an all-powerful, all-knowing, victorious God. The more we know and reflect on God's character, the more secure and empowered we'll feel when under attack. So consider David, ancient Israel's second king. As a youth, he experienced ridicule from his brothers. And then as a man, he was hunted down for a decade by the king before him. And then once he rose to the throne, one of his own sons, along with one of David's most trusted advisors, turned against him and steadily worked to turn the hearts of the people against him as well. And this wounded David deeply. We can sense his anguish in his words recorded in Psalm chapter 3, which was written around the time when he fled from his son. He wrote, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. When others come against you, maybe slander you and try to get others to turn on you as well? Does that affect your sleep? Do anxious thoughts swirl through your brain? That's a normal response to threats. And I imagine David experienced that as well. But he refused to stay in that anxious, nauseated state. He fought his anxiety by turning to God, by expressing rather than suppressing how he felt, but then by reminding himself of truth. He knew God was bigger than all of his enemies combined. He knew his victory and his advancement came from God, the one who protected and sustained him. And this leads to an important question that we must ask ourselves whenever we feel threatened and under attack. In who or what will we place our trust? To who or what will we attribute ultimate strength, power, and authority? The person or people trying to harm us or our God? Because when we obsess on our enemies, when we allow them to turn our insides into knots, we're basically demonstrating that deep down we're believing a lie. We're demonstrating that we haven't fully grasped onto core truths regarding who God is, what he's done, and how he responds to you and I, his children. Do we truly believe God is loving? Do we believe that he doesn't just love us, but that he is the perfect embodiment of love and therefore that everything he does and everything he allows stems from his perfect love? Do we believe that he's sovereign, meaning always in control, that he has full authority, that he's just, that he's faithful, that he's more powerful than anything else in all creation? Or do we attach qualifiers to those traits? If certain people or situations could negate any of God's core character traits, then he'd no longer be God. Because he is God, however, unchanging, ever faithful, always present, all-knowing, loving, and true, we can rest secure knowing that he has plans for us and he has the authority and the power to bring every one of his plans to pass. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com. The more we understand and reflect on God's character, the greater our confidence and peace, no matter what we encounter. Or maybe to phrase it differently, 
We find rest not in the absence of storms, but in the God who sees us and remains with us through the rain. When life feels hard, our difficult circumstances can make us feel as if we're alone, as if no one sees us or cares about us or our pain. But scripture promises us this is not true. Proverbs 15 verse 3 states, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. God sees how others treat us. He sees everything you and I experience. He sees every tear we cry. He hears every desperate prayer we utter. But he sees so much further than that. He sees the pit into which our enemies will one day fall. He sees the day on which his justice will prevail, and indeed it will. Scripture refers to this as reaping what one sows. But more importantly, God sees you and I lovingly carefully molded and strengthened for the glorious plans that he has prepared for us. Plans formed before we took our first breath, before we committed our first sin, or before we first found ourselves under attack. Plans formed knowing each of those circumstances would occur and with each of those circumstances in mind. And that means that nothing and no one can keep us from becoming the people that God created us to be. Nothing and no one can keep us from fulfilling the dreams our God planted within us. Well, nothing and no one that is except us if we choose to rebel against our faithful God. If we remain yielded to him, however, through our pain, we can trust him to use it for our good. Now, I may have shared this story in a previous episode, and if so, I apologize for the repetition, but I like to reflect on it because it reminds me of God's faithfulness and of his power, of, of just how how much he always is in control. So years ago, I led a ministry team that quickly became toxic, in part because I was an inexperienced leader with a lot of insecurity and emotional triggers that God still needed to heal. And and when we respond out of our insecurity and our fears and our triggers, then other people tend that that tends to bring other people's insecurities out as well, which then they begin to respond in defensive ways. Well, anyway. Also, some of the reasons that this team became so toxic was because one of the women on the team, disagreeing with the direction we were heading, she determined to exert her influence through gossip and slander. And I wanted to defend myself, but I sensed that God was telling me not to, to instead let him be my defender. I have since learned that God does a much better job of defending us than we do of defending ourselves. But still, that was that was really hard. And at first, I withdrew. I, I basically allowed that woman's ugliness to steal the beauty that God was creating within me and that he wanted to to create through me. So I would go to church and I would just wonder what all this woman was saying, who she was talking to, how many people hated me. And I would I would come in and I would sit in the back, not talking to anybody, and I would leave as soon as service was over, and then I would go home and I would mope about. And I decided if serving, if leading was going to result in such pain, in such attack, I wanted nothing to do with it. I knew leadership inherently involved making decisions that not everyone agreed with. I knew it meant holding people accountable. I knew it meant initiating hard conversations when necessary. And I wanted nothing to do with those things. Well, with the fallout of those things. In other words, 
I wanted nothing to do with that part of my calling. Had I remained in my self-protecting state, Holy Love Ministries, the ministry I launched and now lead, probably wouldn't exist. This podcast probably wouldn't exist either, which means thousands of conversations I've had with hurting listeners and readers over the years, that probably never would have occurred either. I could have forfeited so much beauty and impact. Now, I'm not sure how long I remained in my funk, but eventually my husband said something that kind of just, I don't know, it it just really called me to attention and it it motivated me to seek out God, to seek his wisdom and and really his presence and, and his perspective on everything that was going on. And so I went into my bedroom, I closed the door, and I I turned to God in prayer. Lord, why is all of this affecting me so deeply, I asked. And that's one of the most important questions, I believe, that I have learned to ask over the years. That question has led to more healing than anything else. Lord, why is all of this affecting me so deeply? And his response followed immediately, not audibly, but rather as a whisper to my soul, because you think you're bad. And I realized I was reacting from shame formed from wounds that I had experienced during childhood, wounds and shame that God used my circumstances to reveal to me so that he could bring me to a place of deeper healing. I learned so much during that hard and painful season. I learned so much about God, about myself, and about leadership. Lessons that have made me who I am today. God didn't cause my pain. He didn't cause that other woman to act so ugly. But he did allow me to experience her ugliness so that he could bring a deep wound to the surface, so that he could heal it, and so that he could grow me into a stronger person and a better leader. And he has. In fact, looking back, I'm almost grateful for that painful period because if not for that woman's behavior, I might never have realized that lie that was buried deep within my soul. In Romans 8, God promises to use all things, the good, the bad, the painful, and the unjust for our good to make us more like Jesus. And when we realize that, we're more apt to grieve with hope, with our gaze firmly locked on everything that lies ahead, knowing that one day God will make right all wrongs. One day he will heal all wounds and will reveal everything that is hidden, including whatever lies others might be speaking about us. And so in the meantime, we lean into him. We invite him to search deep within our souls, to reveal everything within us that hinders our life and our joy, to remove those things and to replace them with his truth and his peace and to guide us regarding what to say, what not to say, how to act, when to act, when not to act. Now, I don't know what type of conflict or attacks you might currently be experiencing or what maybe your loved ones are experiencing. I don't know if you or they are enduring intense persecution that feels more than you can bear or or maybe you're weathering those sly, hurtful comments and passive aggressive remarks that just make you want to shut down or retreat. I also don't know how God might want you to respond, but I do know this. He sees you. He sees everything you encounter and endure. He sees your inner struggle, and he sees why every attack hurts as deeply as it does. He sees everything, all of the wounds, all of the sin, all the deception within your heart as well. The lies that are lurking there, challenging your peace, your assurance, and your faith. He sees the wounds that he wants to heal. He loves you so deeply. 
He has a plan for you, and he is working to prepare you for that plan. Plans that are held firm in his hand, beyond the reach of your attackers, your employer, your town's mayor, whoever you feel is threatening your future or your joy. And he's walking beside you to lovingly and faithfully guide you. Can I pray for you? Holy Father, thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we choose to believe that you are present even when we can't feel you. We choose to believe that your love is enduring because you have promised that it is. We choose to believe that your love is enduring regardless of how we feel or what our circumstances might try to tell us. And we know that you have a plan for us, a good and a loving and hope-filled plan, again, because you have said so. And we know that you are honest and faithful and true. So in those hard circumstances, help us to hold tight to those truths, to choose to believe that what you say is indeed true. Give us strength and perseverance, comfort us, and, and give us wisdom, Lord, how to respond to every situation, whether we're the ones under attack or whether we're watching our loved ones experience attack. Show us the, the perfect things to say or, or maybe not to, when, when not to speak and, and how to respond and when to respond. And most importantly, just help us to lean into you, to hold tight to you, to rest in you and your faithfulness. In the name of your victorious son, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. And I, I hope today's episode gave you some comfort, some peace, some encouragement to persevere through whatever you're encountering, or, or maybe that you can tuck it in your pocket for whatever you might encounter tomorrow. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, then you won't make a, miss a single episode. And make sure to rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.